All right, Greg, we're testing. All right, can you hear me okay on there? I see the little numbers flickering, but not as much as you. Yeah, because, well, I'm more important. <laughs> That's, this interview is not about that. <laughs> I'll speak very loudly and very clearly. This is Meg Tilton at the 8 Cal Life, and you are listening to a special New Year's Eve edition, 2018. This is the 8 Cal Life, a place where LDS women, and really any woman, can come to learn how every aspect of their life is beautiful and has purpose. A place to help you realize how important you are, and that this place we call Earth just wouldn't be the same without you. So sit back and take a breather in that unfolded laundry, and let's chat for a moment about your amazing life. Welcome back, everybody, and I hope you had an amazing Christmas, and I'm excited that you all are here again. I got a Christmas gift of a cold, which you can hear in my voice. Greg says that I sound like I smoke. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm excited for today's podcast because I decided to have Dr. Tilton, that's how I refer to you, do you know that? I did know that, thank you. Yeah. You're the only one that ever calls me that. <laughs> uh, interview me today for the podcast, just to change things up a little bit, have you guys maybe get to know me a little bit better, and just have something fun to listen to, not have it be so serious and purpose-driven, right? It could be serious. So he's actually come up with questions, and I have no idea what they are. So you're totally going to get an unedited true response to my que- to for my answers unprepared. right unprepared yes right yeah you'll learn that greg is well much more spoken than i am <laughs> well spoken clearly so i am excited that he's here do you want to introduce yourself a little bit yeah sure so i'm uh, dr greg tilton um yeah i'm a scientist I have a PhD, but it's kind of funny uh, whenever I actually tell Megan, remind her that I have a PhD, it's just a cause of laughter in our house, <laughs> because it really doesn't mean much as far as <laughs> the day-to-day of living, a PhD is not that helpful, at least in my case. Um, yeah, we live here in Missouri, we have five little hoodlums, and uh, it's been a fun, uh, fun break so far. Yeah. You got to do all the wrapping for Christmas because I, I was did. sick. Megan was ill, and so he was uh, a champ. Uh, yeah, that was that was giving <laughs> appreciation, I guess, for what Megan does every year. That was <laughs> good perspective for me. It's not like you don't help, so I know, but I don't. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was an eye opener. Yeah. It was payback. Actually, I got sick one year on on Christmas Eve. And yeah. Was completely out for the count, and uh, totally Megan had to do really everything so yeah so now we're even yeah Yeah. so nobody needs to feel sorry for greg so mom if you're (laughs) listening to this you don't need to feel sorry for greg (laughs) greg's really the cherished child in the family (laughs) that's right so yeah that maybe that would help maybe i'll get a phd and then i I would raise my mom's ideals of me or whatever i don't know worth a try no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's going to interview me. 
and we'll see what comes of it. All right. <clears throat> First question. Let's just get a quick sketch of your life. So I guess starting in college, anyway, tell us a little bit about kind of how you got here, major events, you know, all in about three minutes or less. Three minutes or less. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. So starting in college. Yeah. Well, I went to BYU. By some grace of God, I got in. My ACT score was terrible. <laughs> anyway, I got in, uh, went to BYU, um, was first a veterinary major, but then I was like, I don't want to do all this chemistry. I think I was that major until after my mission. But I don't remember. Anyway, went to Israel my junior year. That was really a pivotal time in my life because I met a lot of my really, really good friends from that decision to go there. It was also a really awesome spiritual experience for me because I was going to go to Austria. and uh, But I ended up going to Israel instead. And then I... Um, Went on a mission, went to Seoul, Korea, came home, switched to veterinary technology, graduated, then went, moved up to Washington State eventually, got a job, met you, finally told you it was time to get married, <laughs> stop being a bachelor. <laughs> he was almost 30, so when we got married. So, and then... uh we moved to Michigan, had a baby, moved here to Missouri, had four more babies. And then I became a life coach, and everything has changed okay. for the better. For the better. Good. Right? Here we are. Absolutely. All right, good. That <laughs> it's, was, it's not very that exciting. Was I wish I had something exciting, like I went whaling, or <laughs> I built orphanages in Africa. <laughs> Need to work on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, maybe along with was just another lighthearted thing. So what has been your favorite vacation, maybe? Oh. Uh, looking back, not necessarily in the last 10 years, but maybe even longer. You know, it's a hard tie, I think, between our trip to France when Ellie was like 10 months old, with the Donadjus, mm. our friends. That was a super fun vacation. They really taught us how to be awesome hosts. They were amazing. He's half French, our friends, and um, so his grandparents had a house in this little town, Utezec, in France, and um, they were just amazing hosts. Like, it was really amazing. And then New Zealand, Mm. where we bungee jumped. That's right. And... Went down the river of death. Yeah. You yeah. should post a bungee jump video someday where we get that digitized. You can put it on. Yeah. I should because yeah. it's worth everything. <laughs> worth every time. That is a, I did a podcast about that in the very beginning. And it's a true example of your lower brain doing its job. <laughs> trying to keep you safe. Like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and the low, higher brain having to go like, it's okay, sweetheart. Like millions of people have done this. But it was seriously a mind override for sure. So. All right. Great. Yeah. New Zealand was amazing. Yep. I I concur. 
Um, so you're a veterinary technologist. Uh, I have to believe that that stemmed from a love of animals growing up. So favorite pet and why? Like out of all of my pets? Yeah. My favorite one? Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty easy. Yeah. Who do you think it is? It's got to be one of the Georges somewhere in there. Well, the first George. George the first. Yeah. George the first, yeah. for sure. He was a cat that we found around our apartment complex in college. And I was in the veterinary technology program at the time, and we were, we'd had a whole bunch of cats that died that we got from the pound. They all got sick, so we didn't have any cats. <laughs> and we needed a whole bunch of cats so that we could spay and neuter them. Well, we didn't do it. The veterinarians did it, but we had to do the anesthesia and practice and all that stuff. So he got thrown in there. He was a happy cat. Cause he was living the high life, man. Like eating. Spayed and neutered. <laughs> no, he was like he gained like probably three pounds, if not more, within the space of like three or four months. I mean, he was a fat cat, but he was such a good cat. Like he was probably more like a dog. Maybe that's why I liked him. But um, he would he would drool when you petted him he would purr and drool and I remember several times he would sleep in my room when I was at my parents house and I would wake up and I was like I wonder where the cat is and I would open my eyes and he was lying like right in front of me totally asleep but his face was just right there recirculating air with you yeah, like that creepy movie. <laughs> what is that creepy movie? <laughs> we remember where the cat like takes the breath. Or... Oh yeah, no, I don't think it was. The cat. Oh no, it wasn't the cat. It was like the little gremlin yeah. thing. But the cat yeah. saved. The cat's eye. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. he kept he kept me safe from the gremlins. I guess. That's good. Watching out for you. Yeah. Good cat. Nestle might be a close second though. Oh, okay. We have a thing for slobber. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, excellent. Um, so this is a random question. I, ha- I ran into this the other day. We were talking about Elizabeth Smart. I know this is random. But, and, and I remember uh, the subject came up because somebody met her, I think, in New Zealand. She had visited New Zealand, uh, and somebody was a missionary down there and just happened to bump into her. And we started talking about where were you when you found out that Elizabeth Smart was it was alive they found her and like everybody in the room remembered the exact moment and so was this at work that you were having this conversation no 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 no, no. it was amongst uh, members of the church because uh. i think it was most relevant to them so i'm gonna turn the question to you where were you what were you doing when you found out that elizabeth smart was alive i remember exactly where i was oh, there you go, go so ahead. i was at washington state and i was in our like <clears throat> excuse me our like computer like input room like for tests that we were doing or charges that we did for clients and I remember you called me and you're like you will never guess what happened they just found Elizabeth Smart and I was like is she dead (laughs) you're like no she's alive it was huge news Yeah. yeah okay yeah I think that I wonder if other people would remember that that aren't members because she you know prominent member came from a good family we're all hoping that, you know, nothing, like, from her family were the ones that did it, but... Right, right. Yeah, so... Okay. <clears throat> she's an amazing person. I'd love to interview her. Oh, okay, good. Well, That's my goal. I hope she's listening. 
<laughs> me too. Call me. Call me. <laughs> All right. All right. Great. Good answer. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's talk about life before coaching. So, what was your favorite job before you started as a life coach? Hmm. I really liked working at the Animal Ophthalmology Center mm-hmm. in Michigan. That was my. Because I don't like doing dentals on dogs. Like, well, you have to like put them under anesthesia, and you use certain things on their teeth to clean it, and it's just a lot of water, and it's messy, and you're bent over, and it's no fun. You know, there's just in general practice of veterinary medicine, there's just a lot of things that are not a whole lot of fun. But when you're working just on the eyes, that's kind of cool because you get to do the anesthesia, and you get to assist in surgery, and you get to meet with clients. Interesting clients. I can't imagine the people bringing their animals to the animal ophthalmology center have to be those that are... Very dedicated to their pets. For better or for worse. Yeah, some were very normal, some were not very normal. Yeah, Yeah, there's stories there. Right. Yeah. That is the one thing about veterinary medicine is it's you have a lot of very interesting stories <laughs> from the pets themselves and from the owners of the pets. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but I don't really miss it. I mean, I, I think I would like it if I went back. I think there's a part of me if I got into the right um, situation. situation, I would like it. But, you know, right. I'm not like, got to get back. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Did you know technicians like that, by the way, that were just like, this is the best. Cleaning that poop off the floor is my life's calling. I I don't know that any of them would ever say (laughs) that. (laughs) But I do have a technician that I worked with um, closely at Washington State, and she's moved away from there, but she loves her job. And so I think it's awesome. Yeah, cool. We have an intruder. We're doing an interview with Jacker. This is a family event. Right. I'm sure Miller will come in at some point. I'm sure you have a better hustle. Okay. we got a lot of questions left, too, so let's just keep moving here. <laughs> so um, let's talk about so your, your, your clients. I'm assuming know a little bit about you and your talents as a coach. What other talents do you have maybe that you haven't talked about or uh, are hidden talents that are underdeveloped? Hmm. Or, uh, yeah, I guess, what kind of talents do you think uh, are in there that either you've tapped into or you haven't tapped into? Um, that's kind of a hard question. That's a very introspective question that's hard. Get ready, because so, a lot of these questions okay. are like that. Oh, great. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, one thing that I know is a talent of mine, and I finally just decided to own it, instead of being like, I'm going to try and be all like... Humble. self-deprecating <laughs> but it's not I'm not trying to be prideful I'm just like this is a talent okay. I have a talent to think outside the box yeah. would you agree I think so it depends yeah. on the situation and the topic yeah but like if I'm in a calling right. I will think outside the box yeah. like not doctrinally outside the box <laughs> but like why are we doing it this way why do we need to keep doing it this way um, I think I come up with good ideas. I think I'm fairly creative. 
think that's a talent of mine. I like to be creative. I like to entertain. Have people over. You're good at entertaining. That's what you're saying. I don't know. Am I? Well, I don't know. I'm asking you to define your own talents, not me. Yes, I would say I'm good at entertaining. I think I can improve, for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's an art, just like anything else. I think I'm a really good... This is one thing I think I am really good at. I can look at a recipe and know if it's going to taste good mm. before I ever make it. Yeah, okay. Which I think is key because a lot of people are like, I'm a terrible cook. I'm like, that's because you pick terrible recipes. Mm. That's why I think. So if you want to know what's going to taste good, just give me a call. Yeah. Give me a recipe and I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. That's not going to taste good. I have had a few flops, but for the most part, I can be like, yeah, that would taste good. Um, um, yeah, yeah, okay, keep going. Well, I've been told I have a good voice, but I'm very shy when it comes to singing. Because of the smoking? Because of the smoking, for sure. It really, you know, affects the vocal cords. Yeah. No. Which I think is hilarious that now I'm the ward choir director, so I get to have showcase everybody else's talents, yeah. <laughs> which is nice. Yeah. But yeah, I am a little bit. I play a little bit of the piano, not super well. Um, I've run marathons, half marathons. Tell uh, us about seizing control of the Nutcracker scheduling and how that applies to your talents. <laughs> Do you think that's a talent? I think so. To organize? Uh, yeah, so Ellie, our daughter, our oldest daughter, was in the St. Louis Ballet Nutcracker this last Christmas season. It was our first experience with that. And I don't know if this is normal in the dance world, because we're kind of newbies as parents to this, but uh, they would give us the schedule for the practices like the week of. So every week we would get her practice schedule, which was, they were always on Fridays and Saturdays, but you didn't know exactly what time, which is like, okay, at least I know the days, but they didn't really tell us when she tried out, like when we would be, she would be starting and they ended up starting when we were on vacation and you can only miss two practices. So she missed two practices and then Greg's dad passed away. And so she had to miss two more practices. So it was kind of this big rigmarole. They were very nice though, and let her still be in it. But, uh, and then we didn't get the dress rehearsal schedules until like two weeks before. And I'm like, people, it is the month of December, like the busiest month of most people's lives with tons of concerts and recitals and all of that going on. <clears throat> and I guess I could understand if the Nutcracker was like their first production, like they'd never done it before, but they've done this for like 20 plus years. <laughs> this is like a well-oiled machine, people. Should like, be. Should be. So I'm going to be having a little chat with the St. Louis Ballet <laughs> mid-January saying, why don't we just transpose this entire schedule to next year? And then when people try out, they know exactly what they're trying out for, what times, how much money they're going to have to spend because it was a significant expense that I didn't really foresee. So I'm glad she did it, but it could be better. So getting back to your talents, this is the ability to... Uh, Look guess. at a situation and say, why are we doing it this way? <laughs> and whip it into shape. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. I guess. Okay. That kind of goes along with outside the box. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Thanks, Megan. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, talk really quick about heroes. So who who are your heroes? Heroes? People you look up to. Huh. Or whom you seek to emulate. That's a hard one. Maybe I should have gotten these <clears throat> questions ahead of time. All right, heroes. Like in terms of like anything or like certain areas of my life? Because I think I have different heroes for different reasons. Well, give us a couple examples. Go ahead. Um, okay. Well, in my coaching world, definitely Brooke Castillo. She's amazing. So we'll just Why put that it? out there. She's a really good coach. Yeah. She doesn't take crap from nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of my personality in some ways. I'm not... Yeah. She has a lot of confidence. She exudes confidence. So, anyway. Um, let's see. In terms of, like... Like, mothering. Like, I have a couple heroes in that area. Um... Like, there was a grade school teacher that actually was a teacher of my sister, who I really loved her parenting, Mrs. Heeslip, Catherine Heeslip. Uh, like, she's, like, really loving, but then toes the line yeah. when it needs to happen. Um, I think Brittany Weaver is an amazing mom. We all want to be like the Weavers. We should do a whole episode about that. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. How to be the uh, Weavers. How to be the Weavers. Yeah. Um, who else mother-wise? Just a lot. I mean, a lot of my friends are great, amazing mothers. You know, I don't think I can call anybody out per se. As I think they're all amazing. Um, in terms of, like, just unconditional love and charity, I would... There's a couple of my roommates from college that kind of jump out Rochelle she's like one of the most loving people I know Lisa she was very loving too um yeah I mean I admire like I mean celebrities and stuff they're cool and like people that are prominent in the spotlight but really my heroes are just women that are around me on a daily basis or that have touched my life in some way like Great young women's leaders, um, great friends, just, you know, they're really my heroes, mm -hmm. you know. I think a lot of times, like, how would I, um, how would I go into battle sometime with somebody and it's always those women that I would choose. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So. If you're listening to this, you're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll have to put, call out Joel, I guess, too. I like Joel. So. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I know there's lots of people that you like, and uh, uh, certainly I agree that you know everybody around us, there's things we can learn from them. I guess if there's two or three people, maybe I was thinking of that we were really trying to uh, emulate. I, Brooke Castillo, clearly, as far as the coaching goes. I guess any authors you really like to read? People that uh... I like Laura Hildebrandt. She's really good. Yeah. I'm broken. Sea biscuit. Yeah. 
I'm not a huge reader, Greg. Mm. You know this. Mm. That's a New Year's goal. A New Year's goal. To read one book a month, which I know for readers out there is like, what? (laughs) But we're going to start small, people. That's like a lot for me to read 12 books in one year. Well, this next question kind of goes along with that, and that is, uh, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would that be? Mm. I would... I don't know. Like, physically or personality-wise? Yes. I'll give you two things. How about that? All right. So, physically, I'd have my small waist back before kids. That's what I would change. Mm. Might be my flabby neck that's coming on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. With age, the wrinkles. I'm actually not, I don't really fear getting older like it's not something that i'm like i'm gonna hide my age i just i don't know i always thought that was kind of ridiculous I'm like you're aging what like it's like a surprise to people i don't know why people try and hide it but maybe i will more as i get older and <laughs> wrinklier anyway um personality wise i i wish i wasn't so um quick to get upset sometimes I kind of have a short fuse I can be kind of sensitive which is good in some ways but um, it's gotten better over the years but yeah just kind of think more like try and get in the other person's perspective before I make statements or do something. I think that's always helpful. Sleep on it for mm-hmm. a night. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah. All right, good. Um, this is the next step of change. I'm just curious. Um, you spent a lot of time, you talked about thinking outside the box, doing things differently than maybe the status quo or just the way things have been done. So along those lines, if there's one thing you could change about the church, what would that be? Uh, yeah, oh, this is a good question. I better answer very carefully. <laughs> Just let her rip. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so I think it's really interesting because there's, in the last several years, there's been some talk and, um, you know, Mormon feminists have kind of come up a little bit more and talked about women getting the priesthood and all that. And I don't push for that at all I'm like if it were to happen great I guess I don't really want the priesthood but I really wish that women in the church would exercise the rights that they have like that they already have that they don't really realize that they have that they would speak up more um and be willing to be not disagreeable, but be willing to disagree with leadership if they don't agree with something and not just go along because they feel like um, 
especially if they're in a leadership position, like if they're a release site president or a primary president or young women's president or even on the stake level, you know, to say, I don't agree with that. And this is why, and be able to really state that. I think a huge one for me, and Greg knows this, is um, really exercising their right that when they're called to a position like a young women's president, in a president position on any level, to really, you know, make it clear that they're the ones that get to decide who their counselors are. Like it says in the handbook, like that they um, recommend who they want and then the bishopric approves, which means to me the bishop does not tell them who it is. And the reason I say that is because I was in a presidency in Michigan. I was in the Relief Society presidency and Um, I continually go back to this whenever a subject like this comes up, because I really feel like Heavenly Father gave me that experience, um, because I've been in presidency since then that did not work this way. And it was a less than fulfilling, um, situation because when I was called as second counselor in the recited presidency up there, I remember when I was called, I knew it was the president who wanted me and the other two counselors, the one that was leaving, even told me, like, I recommended you for my position when I left. And I know it doesn't always work out that way necessarily, because I think the bishop is in a position where he knows the whole view of the ward, and I think that that's really important. But when it comes to... um, having a voice and feeling like you get to choose who your counselors are and then make decisions within your organization, those are that's really important. And especially as a presidency, that is a bonding experience. I had we had so many spiritual experiences as a presidency as we decided on almost every decision together. And that was very, very powerful. You know, my president that I served under, she was misunderstood by a lot of sisters in the ward because she was a little, she wasn't super cuddly and warm necessarily, um, but she loved the sisters. And I was so grateful for that opportunity to serve with her because my view of her totally changed. And I will love that experience for the rest of my life. And it wasn't that we always got along. It wasn't that we always agreed as a presidency, but we worked together and we um, prayed together and we felt the spirit together. And it was an amazing, holy experience in those presidency meetings when we made decisions and we knew that that was the will of the Lord. And I have been in other presidencies since, and that did not, has not happened. And it was such a missed opportunity to really bond women together, to strengthen our testimonies and to be able to feel like you are important. You know, I think that that's the biggest thing is that a lot of women may feel in the church, like we're marginalized. We don't feel like we're important. And I'm like, it's because you're not exercising the rights that you have. Mm -hmm. And you know, challenging some of that authority to an extent, not doctrinal authority. That's not what I'm saying. Um, But, you know, just saying, no, I I don't think that's a good decision. And maybe they will still make that decision, but you at least voice that opinion Mm -hmm. and have it heard. Because I think a lot of women are really afraid Mm -hmm. to have their opinion heard 
and voiced in the church. And I think that that's a great disadvantage. And I think the church is taking strides, at least on the general level, to try and change that. Um, I think the biggest example to me was when we went... So Bonnie Oscarson, who used to be the general young women's president, she was my in young women's with me when I was growing up in my ward. And we went out and visited her one year in Salt Lake. And I specifically asked her, how did you choose your counselors? Were they chosen for you? And the prophet did not choose her counselors. Mm. <laughs> like, he's like, here you go. Here's a book of all the people that are in the, um, on the young women board. Here's some people you might want to consider, but yeah. you get to choose. And I'm like, that's very telling. Mm-hmm. Like that the prophet of the church, these women are going to get up and speak and travel all over the world, mm-hmm. did not tell her who her counselors were. And mm-hmm. I think that that's because they know how important it is. Yeah. And I've had some instances where I've been told that I wasn't chosen for a presidency because the stake president say didn't said I wasn't a good fit, like was like, oh, she's too, she has too many young kids or whatever. And I'm like, really? And then I see other people who have young kids called into it. So it's like, you know, I had somebody tell me that basically her counselors were chosen for her. And I think that that's a huge disservice that we do. Mm to our women in the church. So I always say, heaven help the bishop or stake president, whoever tries to tell me who my counselors are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway. That's good. There you go. That's that's very unedited. Yeah. Well, and I think that that that, that whole concept of, you know, that women should be speaking up for, uh, especially stating their opinions. I, I, I think that you're right. Even at the local level, you know, I think that the, they've tried to include more and more. Um, I guess evaluate heavily the, the opinions of the sisters and the, the leadership that they have, because I mean they're leading really half the resources in the ward, and so their voices need to be heard. Yeah, and I think that comes down to like anything. Like I was talking one time to a president, and somehow the budget came up, and she told me what the budget was, and I was like, "That's pathetic." Like, well, and this actually happened in Michigan. Like, they told me the budget for the year was $300. And I was like, and that was back when we were doing four meetings a year because I was the enrichment counselor. And and I looked at my president. I'm like, that is never going to fly. Like, we're not doing that. We need more money. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I'm like, just ask for it. So I was like, ask for $800. She asked. She got it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like. You have to ask, you know? And this other president was like, well, I wasn't there when they set the budget. I'm like, who cares? Go in and say something. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fine if they you weren't there, but I'd be marching in saying, no, this is not going to fly. Mm-hmm. So. In a loving, happy way, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, maybe exactly. <laughs> maybe exactly. <laughs> depends, right, on the, right? <laughs> depends on the mood I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, so okay. that's maybe another thing about my personality. I'd change more diplomacy. <laughs> more diplomacy. Greg is very di- diplomatic. <laughs> like, I'm always like, why don't you go say it? Because you'll say it much better than I will. There's a time and a place for diplomacy. Yeah. All right. Well, last question. I saved the deepest for last. Oh, gosh. I'm afraid. <laughs> so tell us a little about me and your listeners. I guess a little about your outlook on balancing uh, your family life with your business. I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know if this is true, but you're often talking to women who are, you know, interested in pursuing uh, interests outside of motherhood. Uh-huh. And so how do you approach that balance between um, 
your role as a mother and um, yeah, developing and growing this business. Yeah, so I've talked a little bit about this on my podcast. I don't know if I've actually done a dedicated podcast about it, but balance is really uh, something that I don't think exists. Mm-hmm. Like perfect balance. I mean, if you think about trying to, if you had a traditional scale that had like two sides that you're trying to balance, right? Mm-hmm. To weigh things like the old time scales. To get that perfect balance is really hard. I mean, you have to be pretty exact. And one little thing is going to throw it off, right? So I think really the key is just having it softly teeter back and forth and not have these huge swings. And of course, I'm learning how to do it all the time. I don't think I'm super great at it um, because I, my personality type is that I, I like my job a lot and I could probably do it 60 hours a week, you know, but, um, I have kids and so I'm in the car 60 hours a week instead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, but, uh, yeah, so I think balance is really, um, a myth. I think it's a, something that we should kind of take off the table actually when we're talking about our lives. And I think we should just try and maintain a a fluid like okay flow you know because sometimes your work's going to take more time and sometimes your family's going to take more time and sometimes it's going to seem like it's pretty imbalanced like balanced but other times it's not and that's just kind of how life goes and there's a lot of things you can do to try and make sure that it is balanced, like manage your time really well, be really strict about your where you're budgeting your time and be present. And that's where I need to be better. But um, yeah, it's all a process. So do I think that a woman's ever going to get to that like perfect balance? No, I don't. And I think that that's okay. I think if you just realize that going in, that there's going to be give and take all the time, but you're just trying to take out the huge swings, then it'll be okay. It's all the way you think about it, right, Greg? Uh, that's right. Well, I think that's an important concept, though, that there is no balance. I mean, that is, that's a myth. I mean, but that's maybe once people internalize that, I mean, I guess you clearly have internalized that. That really changes your outlook on on um, you know trying to hit this sweet spot that's going to be you know this perfect balance between I'm going to be an awesome mother and I'm going to be an awesome developer and trying to have it all at the same time maybe that's something that's not completely possible yeah I thought about that way I guess what I was looking for is you have any any guiding principles or anything it sounds like you you've accepted that fact and you you know kind of respond as things come up but do you have any any suggestions for I guess so people that are getting into this saying, okay, keep this in mind as you are getting into this. Here's some thoughts on how you can maintain, keep mm-hmm. prevent yourself from getting completely overwhelmed by. Yeah, it's really um, scheduling your time. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> I did a whole podcast about like schedule to the minute sometimes, like from nine o'clock to nine o five, I'm brushing my teeth and combing my hair. Like if that's how detailed you have to get, to stay on a schedule, 
then that's what you should do. Just because I know it sounds cumbersome and it sounds like a pain, but I plan my days like that often. Do they always go perfectly? No, they don't. And that's something that I'm really trying to work on is like, I am really working on my podcast. Say I'm developing a podcast from two o'clock to three o'clock. I have one hour to do it and I have to do it in that hour because then from three to four, I'm working with my kids and making dinner, you know, and if you can really train your brain and see, the thing is, is your brain's going to get to that like three to four o'clock hour where you're supposed to be working on your podcast and be like, I don't want to do this. I don't have any ideas. I don't, this is too hard. It's going to try and override that. But really, I think the growth and the up leveling of who you are and becoming a better version of yourself, which I know you don't like that (laughs) phrase, but like becoming a better person comes when you force yourself to do what you scheduled because that's how you change, right? You don't give in to what you want to do in the moment. You give in to what you have planned Mm -hmm. and that's a hard thing to do, Mm -hmm. but it's, I think essential to getting the most fulfillment out of life and getting the things that you need to done. Mm -hmm. So it's really comes down to scheduling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, those are my, and it's just, it's practice like everything else. Yeah. So I've been doing that kind of for years. Like I'll schedule my day. Um, but I'm trying to be more intentional about the time that I actually schedule and do those things. Mm-hmm. So I'm finding that I take longer than I think it's going to take. Everything takes longer than you think it's going to take? or Yeah, or I need to like tr- train my brain to get it done faster, yeah. which is, that's a, that's a process. Yeah. So. All right, good. All right. Wow, well, thank you. For well, thank you to get to know for everything. coming up with all those awesome questions. Yeah. I have... So I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, okay. What's your least favorite thing about me? That you don't pick up your clothes? Oh. (laughs) That came fast. (laughs) It's true, people. (laughs) I've been better. Megan has been better. Megan is so tired at the end of the day that often she'll just kind of explode her clothes onto the floor and fall into bed. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, yeah. What's your favorite thing about me? Oh. It's got to be, first of all, your laugh and your smile and the smirk. You know, Megan, she's got a smirky smile that I just find adorable. <laughs> and uh, she's got such a fun sense of humor. And she does amazing animal impressions. Oh, yeah. We'll so, spare you. Too. You have to be about, in person. <laughs> ask her someday about having animals come out of anesthesia, which is not something most people can do. But Megan has <laughs> the insight and the ability to really duplicate that. So, And if you're ever feeling down, it's perfect time to ask her how to do that yeah yeah so and i just love it too that you are driven to do uh, new and difficult things so you're not afraid certainly at least not to try new difficult things um yeah i guess this is a good question for you have you noticed a difference in me as i have pursued coaching and doing something outside of motherhood um well a few most noticeable things one megan is no longer afraid to read manuals Yes, I hate manuals. So I am typically the technical person. I get a new thing. I read the instructions. I put it together. Or I do whatever. It would be like, you know, a metal gauntlet on a chalkboard for Megan to sit down and read that. And I come home sometimes and she's like, well, I had to get online and figure out how to upload this podcast to whatever. And I'm like, man, this is a conversation I never dreamed that we would have. 
A, that you would be talking about that, and B, that you would know how to do it, and C, you're teaching other people how to do, which to me is just mind-boggling. So <laughs> I think your ability to handle the minutia of and tedium of doing some of those things is really improved. You're not afraid anymore to, to get into the details of that. So I think that's what I wouldn't I'm say I'm not about. afraid. Excuse me. But you come across as uh, at least... Uh, I just do it anyway. Oh, I hate manuals. <laughs> that's a thought. I know that's a thought, but... <laughs> Whew, okay. I'm getting like starting to get hot thinking about that. I'm on break. Anything else? Um, let's see. Um, I think generally too the just the general frustrations of life seem to be easier now. Um I don't know if you're you're handling your thinking a little bit better. But uh just generally, yeah, things don't seem to, to either get you down or hold you down for very long. You're never afraid to talk about the difficult things, and I think uh, even more so now. Yeah. My family didn't really grow up, it seems like, talking about difficult things. We would avoid those conversations. And we had a home that had zero strife in it at all, but uh, sometimes at the cost of not knowing how to deal with uh, difficult people situations either amongst ourselves or with other people. So Megan is not the least bit afraid to uh, bring up those subjects. A good example was when uh, I had a former boss come to visit, and my boss's wife had died many years before. and um, He was remarried by this he, he point. He was remarried at that point. But I, I worked for him for years, and the people that I worked with and I never had the guts to really get in and say, what happened? You know, like, tell us all the details. So he came over for dinner party, and he hadn't been eating for 10 minutes, and Megan is deep into the... <laughs> into the details of this and, and all everybody the, else is all the scientists silent. who had come to dinner with us were just sitting in abject silence watching her interview this guy uh getting details that we'd always wondered about but we're always too afraid to ask so anyway that was and it wasn't a, awkward not at all. and he wasn't like he was, crying and sobbing he's happy to talk about kind of his past experience yeah i learned a lot more about him in those you know 20 minutes than i learned from five years of working right next to him yeah so, i'm not afraid that's right yeah which I think actually comes in handy when I coach people because nothing that people say to me, I'm shocked by. I'm like, oh. Yeah. I mean, I might be a little bit shocked, but I'm not like, what? Like, What's the matter with you? <laughs> no, I'm never like that. <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. You know, so everybody has a story. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. You're welcome. We should do this Thank more you. often next year. Sure. I hope your listeners find it interesting. We certainly will, but... Uh... Our posterity will. Our posterity will find it interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right, everybody. I hope you have a great new year. And we will back. I will be back here next Monday with a interview with Charity Lighton. She is amazing. And you will want to tune into that. All right. Have a great last day of your 2018. And we will see you in 2019. Bye-bye.